Good morning, and I uh, echo Ryan's welcome and also the invitation to meet you if you're new here. If I haven't gotten to meet you, I uh, look forward to doing that if, if possible after the service. Would you turn with me as we come now to consider God's Word to your pew Bible, that's the blue book in your chair or uh, pew, to page 1021. Or if you have your own Bible, it's 1 John 1, 5 through 10. And you can find it by going to the back of the Bible and find Revelation. Just keep backing up. You'll come to it pretty quickly. We're considering this phrase as we have already read the shorter catechism about this. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, we're dividing this into two sermons. So, this morning, I'm going to be focusing on our forgiveness before God. And next week, uh, Ryan will be focusing on that aspect of uh, forgiving others and how that relates to our forgiveness. He's got the hard part. I have the easy part. So that's as it should be. No. So so forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, but we're simply going to focus on how we enjoy the forgiveness of God. That's the title of our sermon, Enjoying the Forgiveness of God. And the idea is, as we enjoy the forgiveness of God, we are able to forgive others. We give evidence that we uh, have t- t- uh, t- trusted in God's forgiveness. So, beginning with verse 5, you'll see here, John says, this is the message we've heard from him, but you learn in the first four verses that what we heard was the revelation of eternal life. That's what's been shown. Uh, this eternal life, this final blessing of living in God's favor, being accepted by him, uh, knowing his uh, love forever and ever, uh, that's what was revealed in Jesus, okay? So when he says God is light, he's saying God is hope and goodness and salvation and love that's been bur- has burst in on the scene because Jesus has been made known. That's the sense of light here, the pure, wonderful goodness of God that's broken out into this world. That's the message. So beginning in verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, that is, if we trust in his goodness and salvation, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. And let's read the next two verses. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Let us pray. 
Oh Lord, give us grace to understand your forgiveness in Christ, to rest in it and to live it out in our lives. For your glory and honor we pray. Amen. It's a great uh, irony. Uh, and I address the kids here because I was a kid when this was taking place. You've heard me refer to this before, but I just want to underscore it. <clears throat> when I was growing up, I so was trying to win God's favor, try to earn God's favor, and I was so scared I wasn't doing enough to get into heaven and to win his favor that <clears throat> I would say the Lord's Prayer every night before I fell off asleep, no matter how tired I was. I'd say the Lord's Prayer. And the idea was, here are the scales. Are there enough good things for Darwin to get into heaven or too many bad things that are to keep Darwin out of heaven? And maybe if I said the Lord's Prayer and I died in my sleep, it would tip a little bit this way and I might make it to heaven. That's pretty scary to think like that, I'll tell you. I was a worried little guy, worried. The irony is that I said this prayer every night. And part of my prayer was, Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. There was forgiveness in, embedded in the very prayer, but I didn't know that forgiveness. I didn't know what forgiveness was like. I was trying to win God's favor. I was trying to be good enough, and I knew more and more and more how bad I was. And it was hopeless. It was a bad treadmill to be on. So, it's especially important, <clears throat> I'm, I'm very thankful for the opportunity to talk about forgiveness and how anyone here can know the, that you are forgiven of all your sin, that you can know that you're accepted now and forever, and that you can live in this relationship of trust and joy with God. You can be forgiven of your sins. And whereas I Never knew if I would get to heaven during this time. Later, when I found out forgiveness, I, for the first time, could begin to think, I'm going to heaven because of what Jesus has done for me. So we're going to talk about it in these three points, but I'll tell you right off the bat so that you won't get too worried. Most of our time is going to be spent on number one because this is the great lion's share of experiencing this forgiveness when you first come to Christ. But then there's a few things that I think we need to say about, well, if I'm forgiven, why do I keep confessing my sin and, and how does that work to keep being forgiven? And how does, work, how does forgiveness work in judgment day? I thought we're all gonna be appearing before the judgment seat of Christ. So I'd like to speak to that a little bit as well. Now, there's so many comforting things in this passage that we just read verses uh, 5 through uh, chapter 2, verse 2. Things I wish I'd known as a kid. And one of them is in verse 7. Would you, you can keep this uh, in front of you, and we'll refer it to it several times. He says, if we walk in the light, and as I said, walking in the light means to walk in the light of God's salvation, to walk in the light of his goodness, Walk in the light of the eternal life that's revealed in Jesus and trusting him for that eternal life. So as you walk in the light, as you entrust yourself to God, we have fellowship. And then this phrase, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us <clears throat> from all sin. 
Now, if you're hearing this for the first time, talk about weird, okay? We wash our hands in water. We don't wash our hands in blood. Uh, In fact, blood contaminates. It doesn't clean. We clean blood. Blood doesn't clean us. What is John talking about? Blood makes us clean. Well, in the Bible, blood represents a death that has occurred, okay? Blood represents a death. So this phrase basically means the death of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. His death cleanses us. John is saying that Jesus' death provided a way for each one of you to be cleansed of all your sins. That's the announcement of the good news. But how does this work, that his death can cleanse me of all sin? I think maybe the first thing to ask is, what is sin? What does sin mean? In fact, we pray, forgive us our debts. And this word isn't used except in context usually uh, of, of an actual monetary debt. You know, that you owe somebody money and that's your debt. Well, the idea is that we owe God obedience, but we haven't given that obedience. We have a debt that we can't pay. That's the idea of debt here. But here in John, he's talking about the idea of sin. They're the same thing. My debt to God or my sin against God could be viewed in either way. But let's talk about this sin and let's talk about our participation or perhaps your participation if you're here for the first time. Whatever sin is, the Bible says, it is widespread. Everybody is infected with it. To say it is a plague is an understatement. Oh, Wow, we have really been inundated with zombie stuff, haven't we? Everywhere you look, you know, another zombie movie. And then again and again, what happens? Whole populations are infected. Whole cities uh, are infected with the uh, virus or whatever it is. And from the Bible's perspective, the whole earth got wiped out by sin. You can run tests, every single person infected, infected. Infected, infected. Nobody escaped. In fact, there's another parallel with zombie talk because the Bible says that our sin problem, yours and mine, is so severe that we're so governed by our commitment to ourselves that the Bible says we are actually dead in our sin. So the Bible would, could say, you are the walking dead. Because your sin has you by the throat. Uh, The song we sang, he pictures himself, I was in a dungeon. And I had no way of escape. I was in a dungeon of sin. Uh, The very song we sang. That's the, the picture scripture paints for us. Now, we're highly functioning, mind you. We can build spaceships and we can uh, map the human genome and we can write symphonies. But the Bible says this, every single one of you 
have sinned and you fall short of the glory of God, which probably means you fall short of reaching the final glory and happiness of living with God forever. Every one of you falls short of it. How many missed the cut? Everybody missed the cut. So as a kid, I didn't know what trouble I was in. I actually thought I might could do something about it. I actually thought I might could be good enough. I didn't realize the infection had gone so deep and that everybody has it. And of course, this idea of not entering into God's glory raises another problem. This sin is not only universal, it's universally fatal. It's universally fatal. And just because you may not know what it is doesn't mean it can't kill you. Um, If I was to tell you that you had some form of transmissible spongiform encephalopathy, you might say, so, right? I'd say, so, you're going to die because it's 100% fatal, whether you know what I said or not. And that's what the Bible says about sin. It says its death rate is 100%. 100%. Paul's writing about this uh, when he's writing to a church in Rome, a letter he wrote to Rome. And it's in chapter 6, and he's talking about this very thing. And so the analogy he has is taken from the workplace. So uh, you're looking for a job. The critical question is, of course, how much does it pay? How much will I earn in this job? And we use the term a livable wage, right? This wage will uh, support me, uh, support my family. And so in in chapter 6, Paul, borrowing from this world of working for money, says this, the salary that sin earns is death. Our translation says, the wages of sin is death. Psalm 49 puts it this way, like sheep, they are appointed to the grave. Death will be their shepherd. Those are frightening words that are pronounced to all of us with our disease. Here's the result of your sin against God, the debt that you owe God. Death will be your shepherd. One thing to have a shepherd who wants to lead you in the fields where you can eat and lead you by beautiful waters you can drink and protect you and protect you against marauders and protect you against predators. It's quite another thing when death is your shepherd. So, this is, whatever sin is, it's universal and it's universally fatal. Now, we've gotten a little bit at what sin is in in the way that we talked about it's a debt. We owe God perfect righteousness, or we owe God obedience, but we we haven't given that obedience. Well, later in John, he has a phrase that I think is very helpful in chapter 3. He says, sin is lawlessness. That's what it says. That's That's a definition. Now, it includes 
breaking the actual law of God. It is breaking the commandments of God or not fulfilling the commandments of God. But it more refers to the attitude of rebellion that we have against God. The fact that I ignore God, I resist God, I don't regard God with honor, I refuse God. Sin is lawlessness, sin is rebellion. And then Jesus, Jesus really ties it down in a in a piercing way as he summarizes the Bible. And, you know, it, <clears throat> when you're talking about sin and <clears throat> you're trying to say, well, I haven't killed anybody, I haven't done this, I haven't done that, kind of looks okay, but not after Jesus gets a hold of us. And he says this, here's the whole of all the commandments of God. They boil down to two things, two things. One, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. That's the first one. Second one, love your neighbor like you love yourself. And you hear that, and you, if you really listen to him, you, you're thinking, you got to be kidding me. you got to be kidding me. I don't love God with everything in me for a half a minute. What are you talking about? Love him with everything in me all day long, 24 First thing I wake up, last thought before bed, every minute of the day. And then, love your neighbor as yourself. Again, you're not serious, right? I mean, come on. As myself? So, care as much that my neighbor is sick as if I were sick? No. You mean, care as much for the guy at work who doesn't get promoted as I would if I didn't get promoted? No. You mean, be as happy for the student who won first prize as I would be if I won first prize? Not a chance. I mean, be as happy for my sister that she was in first in line and she got two cookies and I only got one. And it makes me just as happy as if I got the two cookies. No. No. I mean, we react to that. We think, no, I'm, I haven't, and no, I won't. I mean, I do. I think you've got to be out of your mind. Sin is when we don't love God with everything in us. Sin is when I don't love my neighbor like I love myself. And the Bible teaches that when God first made us, We lived in fellowship with him, and we were like him. We loved each other like that. We did care about each other like that because we were like God. But then we turned away from God, thinking that we could be happy without him and away from him. We rejected him, and we went after the creation. We went after culture. It became our God. We became our God. Paul says, we live for ourselves. That's my God, really. That's my greatest idol, is me. And we are so unlike God in that regard. Because God is utterly self-giving. Utterly self-giving. And by nature, I'm so unlike God. 
You see, sin is universal. It's universally fatal because we're so unlike God. How can we live with God forever? Really? How could Darwin Jordan live with God forever? So we all stand guilty before God. And so the Bible says every one of us has sinned. All of us are in this condition that leads to death and judgment forever. My refusal of God, my refusal to be like God has shocking eternal consequences. Which brings us back to the blood of his son. Okay? Because in the face of that sin, and, and John thought of sin like that. He knew how bad sin was, how deep it was, how it infected the whole world. <clears throat> he says later in this book, yeah, the whole world lies in the hand of the evil one. He meant all of the world apart from God. It all is in the hand of the evil one. They're all in his hand. <laughs> they're, they're joined with him to to not give their, themselves to the love of God. So sin is rampant. <clears throat> but this, this all the more remarkable, they'd say, the blood of Jesus cleanses us of all of that sin. You can't even begin to, how, how could I, you know, <clears throat> I'm amazed uh, at when I'm around a CPA. You know, when I'm adding my numbers, I'm like, peck, 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 pink. Back, 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 bink. And they're just like, you just lightning fast. You're just, how do you do that? They're just doing down numbers. They don't ever look at them. They're just going like that, you know. If you were doing that for, the, for billions of years, you could never keep up with your sin. You couldn't even begin to keep up with it. You just keep racing ahead of you. But he cleanses us from all our sin. God sent his son to do this. He sent his son to provide eternal life. Why? Because he is light. (laughs) He is pure goodness and love and joy. And he longs to have us with him. And so he revealed his son who revealed eternal life. And so God, God the Father sends God the Son... And God the Son takes on flesh through the Virgin Mary and is born Jesus Christ. He is all God and all man. And then when he grew up, he did many other things. We shorten all of this, but he died on a Roman cross. This was the death choice for the Romans because it was the worst, for, for the worst criminals so that you could maximize their suffering. Known to man, it was the greatest way to make someone scream and scream and scream for days on end before they finally died. And Jesus almost was killed in a lot of different ways, like thrown off a cliff, they tried to, and try to accost him here and there. They couldn't do it. And it's just... Because Jesus was saving himself to do this. To die in this way. Because this in some way, physically, 
match the gravity of our sin. It's the way God chose to die for us. God chose to die for us by a cross. That's why he's light, see? God of salvation. God who longs to cleanse you from your sin. Here's the amazing thing. Jesus, though he suffered this punishment and outwardly, you know, he looked guilty, he wasn't guilty because he had never done anything wrong. And so that's why, and you have to go back in the Old Testament in Isaiah, a remarkable chapter, chapter 53. <clears throat> it's been known that that chapter's been read to Jewish people before, and they've said, well, I don't believe in the New Testament. And you say, oh, this is in the Old Testament, okay. But it tells us there that it was the Lord's will to crush him, the Father's will to crush his son. And then Isaiah says, when we look at his dying without understanding what's going on, we say things like this. Wow, look at that poor man. He's so bloody you can't even tell he's a human being. I can't even look at him. So gross. Look at that man. He's so obviously punished by God, so struck down by God, so afflicted. But then Isaiah says, we come to realize, wait a minute. He was pierced for my transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that I see on him is what brings me peace. The wounds I see on him is how he heals me. And so, a word that I think helps, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, and we'll talk about it again. Can't get enough of the word propitiation, can you? <laughs> we read it in our passage, propitiation. It's one of those big words, and when you come across it, you think, okay, skip that. Next, next sentence, you know, propitiation, propitiation. Why do they have to use these big words in church? Well, here's a word, as I said before, you, you're going to love if you haven't heard it. Okay, propitiation means bearing away the guilt and punishment of sin. It's a good word, right? In fact, it's pictured in the Old Testament when once a year, two goats were selected. One is sacrificed, but on one, the priest puts his head on the live goat he confesses all of the sins of Israel. And then a person takes that goat and releases him into the wilderness. See a beautiful picture? Sins are transferred to the goat. And the goat takes them away forever. They're gone. That's a beautiful picture. That was only a picture, but Jesus took it for real. He took our sins onto himself and on the cross bore the punishment they deserved. God the Father crushed him as though he was the one that had never loved God and that had never loved his neighbor as himself. And so if you trust him, your punishment is taken away. He bears away your punishment. So the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. And so we would set before you this Christ, 
We have so sinned against God. We, we all are, are in this condition. We all are headed to death. We all are hopeless in ourselves. But he has sent his son to die in your place so that when you trust in Christ, not only is your sin joined to him and it's taken away, but then you are joined to this Jesus. And his standing with God becomes your standing with God. And the favor God has because he lived a perfect life becomes your favor you have with God, even though you haven't lived a perfect life. And it's in that context of acceptance and God's strong embrace that's never taken away from you that you can begin to change in your life and begin to grow and become more and more a person who shows other people forgiveness and love as God has shown you forgiveness and love. And one size fits all. It doesn't matter how much any of us has sinned or how great our sin is. Every single one of you and every single leader in this church, anybody, has to have absolute, complete forgiveness. And we all receive the same perfect forgiveness. It's not as though you have to have $10,000 and some of us come and say, I got a nickel. Okay, here's $999,000. Some people come in and say, oh, (laughs) I got $7,500. Oh, well, all you need is $2,500. Kind of think of it that way, right? Some people need more forgiveness. Some people, "Uh uh-uh, uh-uh. Every one of us needs the whole thing. We need complete forgiveness. We need complete favor that we can only have in Christ. Now, I've said this before, but what really changed my life was that I came to realize that where I was trying to construct my righteousness in front of God, that God suddenly says, stop everything you're doing, okay? Just stop it. And suddenly he wipes off everything I'd ever done, good or bad. I'm like, wait a minute, what are we doing here? And then he puts the righteousness and perfect work of Jesus in front of me. And he says, how about this? How about you trusting in this? How about all your sins are taken away and you're forgiven and you're immediately in my favor forever? How about that? How about trusting in my son's work and not your own? That's when life was transformed for me. This boy that said the Lord's Prayer every night, hoping I could get to God one day. And God came to me, and he died for me, and he took all of my sin away. That is what he will do for any of you if you entrust yourself to him. We'll end there simply that as you continue to confess your sin and receive forgiveness, as John talks about in our passage, this forgiveness just keeps working deeper and deeper and deeper into your life, reaching more and more broken places and more and more places of sin you didn't even know existed. That's the great benefit of continuing to confess our sins, keeping this forgiveness fresh, keeping the kiss of God fresh on our cheek, more and more being in awe of all that God has forgiven us for. And that forgiveness, just like water, 
into the desert of our souls, just seeping out into every spot, making it greener and greener and greener. That's the wonder of being forgiven and yet continuing to experience that forgiveness as we confess our sin. And then we'll be in that final day when forever and ever we will stand with him and enjoy his glory and enjoy the cry of those who say, worthy is the lamb who died and has bought us to be a kingdom forever. Let us pray. Lord, we praise you and thank you that you have seen our terrible condition. You've seen our sin. You knew, Lord, what more you, you knew about us when we didn't know about ourselves. And while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And when we came to you as ungodly, it was right there that you forgave us and began to change us. We couldn't fix anything. We came to you as just sheer ungodly people, and you forgave us. Oh, Lord, do so for many here who may never have tasted your forgiveness and enjoyed living in the forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ. Amen.